Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good morning again. Are you guys, are you guys, how many of you are, you're just, if you're honest, you're like, I'm a heat person. Bring it hot. Yeah. I always get a kick out of it because some people are like, no, 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 I like it cold. And they're like, you know, you can always put on more clothes. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. You can only put on so many clothes, everybody. Cold is cold. So I say it's hot. Let's just enjoy it. Love me some hot. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're roughly my age or, you know, in, in that era of, of my age, uh, you, you, I was just a big sports fan growing up and played sports and coached in high school and college basketball when I got out of college. And, and there are two iconic coaches from my area that, that if you're from my area, and you would have known these coaches even if you're younger, but, but they were really a big deal in my era. Number one was, of course, Vince Lombardi. And, and I'm not a Packer fan, and so if you're a Packer fan, please don't say anything right now. But if you're a Packer fan, um, you know, he was a legendary coach, and he's iconic. And, and, and they talked about, he gave this speech in 1961 to his locker room and he pulls out a football and he goes, gentlemen, this is a football. And these dudes got to be thinking, yeah, I've been playing since Pop Warner League and uh, I played a little high school football and I played four years at a university and I've even been in the NFL right now for a while. We, we, right? If you don't know this about coaching, coaching is teaching on steroids, that's what coaching is. It's teaching. Because when I was a high school coach, man, you, you, every Friday night, they pack the gym to see how good or how bad of a teacher you are. It's teaching. And Vince Lombardi was saying this. I got to teach you folks something. That sometimes the most important things are the most fundamental things, the elemental things. We have to remember this is key. This is a football. We got to protect this. And the second coach that was really a big deal to me growing up was uh, John Wooden. And some of you remember him. He's the iconic coach at UCLA. John Wooden. It's never been done before. He won 10 national titles, NCAA titles, in just 12 years. Uh, unbelievable. And John Wooden every year would do the same thing, first day of practice. Now remember, UCLA at that time, it's the program, the best high school basketball stars from around the country. You went to UCLA. It's legendary names that went there. First day of practice every year. He's got seniors sitting there. They've been there for three years already. They've been through all this, three years sophomores, you know, now, now he's got freshmen, he's got everybody there. And he would always say this, gentlemen, this is how we're going to put our socks on. And he would teach them how to put on their socks. Once two pair of socks, and this is how I want them put on. And this is why, because he would say this, because it's the most important game of the season and you got blisters, you ain't no good to us. I'm going to teach you the most fundamental, elemental things about this. And I would say it's really true in our Christian lives. Isn't it sometimes, some of you have been going to church forever, and sometimes we just stew in it for a while and we get real comfortable and we kind of forget and we take things for granted. And so this morning, we're going to answer a really fundamental, elemental question that I think is going to be so good. And the question is this, what's a Christian? What is a Christian? Like, have we forgotten that? I would say this, I think there's, some, there's been some heretical teaching, there's some heresy that goes on right now. And if I said, how do you know someone's a Christian? Define a Christian for me. And you, we would say answers like this. Well, somebody who's prayed and asked Jesus into their heart. It's not completely wrong, it's very incomplete. And I think that's become a heretical teaching. And so this morning, we're gonna look at it. I think we need to back up just once in a while. We'd say, what really is a Christian? And if you've been going to church all your life, here's what I've prayed for these last three weeks as I've prepared this. I'm praying that you'll kind of walk out here and go, that's right, that's right. 
That's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. And if you're new, if you're a visitor, just so you know this, I'll tell you this. I love the fact that we're the kind of church that every week we have folks here who say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm curious. It's just, it's weird to me. I'm curious. You're welcome. You'll always be welcome here. Ask questions. I think that's the appropriate thing to do. But what I, my prayer for you this morning is that you'll really, if that's you, you say, I'm not a Christian. I'm hoping that you'll get a real picture and you'll go, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm not interested. Or you'll say, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. Now I get it. Now I can get on board. So we're going to look at that. We're starting a brand new study, brand new study this week, 12 weeks we're going to be, because I talk slow, 12 weeks we're going to be, book of Ephesians. So open your Bible, book of Ephesians. We kind of have the first part of our Bible, maybe two thirds we call the Old Testament. If you have a paper Bible, last third kind of we call the New Testament. You start that with the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you get to Acts, you get to Romans, you get to Corinthians, and then you go, did you learn it this way? Go eat popcorn. Did you learn that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Cloud, we're in the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, that was a long explanation. Ephesians chapter one. When you get there, would you just stand to your feet for me? And if you're new, just so you know this, we always stand during the primary reading of our text. It's not right or wrong. If you go to churches and they don't, we got no problem with that. Uh, it's just what we do. And the reason we do it is it's symbolic for us, where it says this, we remember, this is God speaking. This is God speaking. Ephesians chapter one, I'm just reading the first two verses. It says this, this letter is from Paul, Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit desperately to explain what you want for us out of that. This wasn't specifically written to us, Father, but it was clearly written for us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds. What is it you want us to glean from this passage this morning? Holy Spirit, I know you will do it in a way that draws us to the Father, brings attention to the Father, gives praise and honor and glory to God the Father. So we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So let me, let me, because we're starting this book, we're going to study all the way through this book, 12 weeks. So let me give you a little understanding, a little background, a little context so you understand where this, where this came from. Now, first of all, it's, we, we oftentimes say it's a book. It's a letter. It was a letter. And here's what happened. Uh, many of you know, in, in the early part of, of the book of Acts, we have Saul. Saul was a Jew. He was a Jew among Jews. He was taught by the greatest teacher, uh, uh, maybe in all of Judaism, the greatest rabbi ever. He was taught by Gamaliel. He studied under Gamaliel. And so he was so zealous for Judaism that when this Jesus comes along, Paul doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Paul doesn't believe that he's actually the, the true Messiah. And so here's what happens. Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies. Jesus raises from the dead. The Jews didn't believe that he resurrected. Paul certainly did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so what Paul does, because he's zealous for Judaism, Paul is going around the countryside and, and around cities and he's having Christians arrested and tried because they, they worship this Jesus. And so one day Paul's leaving Jerusalem and he's on his way to Damascus. And the reason he's going to Damascus is to find some more Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem and have them imprisoned and tried and that whole thing. And he radically meets the resurrected Jesus. What would that do to you? right? He radically has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus and it changes his life forever. Just like it has for some of you, some of you in this room, you've radically met the resurrected Christ and it has changed your life. It changed Paul's life so much so that he spent the rest of his life traveling the Mediterranean rim and he's planting churches and he's preaching Christ and he's writing. I mean, it just radically changed him, right? 
And so one of the places Paul went was up into Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul goes there and has his greatest revival ever. Paul was there for over two years. And he is just preaching and preaching. And people are getting radically saved. And they're coming out of the occult. And they're getting radically saved. One of the people who got radically saved under Paul's ministry was a guy named Epaphras. And you read about Epaphras. And we read about him in Colossians. We read about him. But, but Epaphras came from Colossae. And he comes to Paul's having these, this great revival 200 miles straight west of him in, in Ephesus. And Epaphras gets radically saved. He goes back along the river 200 miles back to the east. And he plants three churches along there. He plants the church in Colossae and he plants the church in uh, Hierapolis and he plants the church in Laodicea and everything is going really well at those churches until in come the heretics and they're called Gnostics and the, the belief and the philosophy was Gnosticism. It's where we get our word knowledge and knowledge you think of like this. It's like the Da Vinci Code and it's like the secret knowledge. And it's like yes Jesus taught this but you got to squint harder and here's what it really means. This is what it and there's a secret meaning to everything. Well Epaphras is a new Christian. He's a new follower of Jesus and he doesn't know what to do so he's going to go look for Paul. Paul's gone. Paul's not in, in Ephesus anymore. By this time Paul is in prison all the way over in Rome. So Epaphras goes and finds Paul in Rome and he tells him about what's happening. Paul's ticked. <laughs> He's just like, they're doing what? What is going on here? Paul's ticked. So Paul immediately pens the letter and that's what we have as Colossians, the letter to the, to the church at Colossae. That was penned from prison. But, but then Paul also writes another letter and it's the book of Ephesians. Now, now get this because this is really important. The whole purpose of Paul writing. So Ephesians is, is kind of known as the capstone of Paul's theology. Like, this is it, man. This is what Christianity is, some just rich truths about Christianity. And so partly he's writing in response to these, these Gnostics, but he's really trying to set things straight. That's why we've called this series Setting Things Straight. Paul's trying to say, this is what real Christianity is. It's right here, everybody. Okay, now he starts writing. So look at, the, look at your Bible. It says this in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So let's talk about who Paul was first. We've already said he's a Jew. But when you read the book of Acts, it goes about the first five, six chapters. Hey, Saul. Hey, Saul. You know, just every once in a while, he'll mention Saul. And then, boom, without any explanation, you get into the, about from there on to about, you know, the end of the book of Acts, and you read about Saul. So Saul is Paul. He's got these two names. Where do they come from? Well, Paul means little. That's what the name Paul means. So it could have been a nickname. It could have been a nickname for Paul. Now, here's the deal. When I thought of Paul, I'm like, right? Tent maker, big, strong dude. Actually, that's not true at all. There's, a, there's an apocryphal writing. We don't think it has any biblical um, accuracy. We don't think it has any, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't go with the scriptures. It's totally incongruent with the rest of the scriptures. It's, it's called the Acts of Felca. It was written at that time. However, in that letter, they describe Paul. Paul's not a big strapping dude. Paul's short, squatty, gutty, bow-legged, bald, bulging eyes and eyebrows. We, we talked about this in sermon prep. If you need a person to think of, if you're you know, old enough, it was, it's Danny DeVito. That's the Apostle Paul. That's, he's, he's Danny DeVito. Like That's who we think of, right? That's what Paul looked like. So it might have been a nickname that was given to him by, by other people around him right? Uh, it could have been a nickname. I think a possibility. It could have been a nickname that Paul gave himself. When Paul is, is talking to the Corinthian church, he says, man, I'm the least of the apostles. Paul looks at his life and how he used to persecute Christians and maybe was himself responsible for actually killing Christians. He's saying, man, 
who am I to be an apostle? I'm the least of these apostles. Maybe he nicknamed himself little. I'm the littlest of the apostles. That could be it. The reality is what, I I don't know. I, I think very possibly, if you were a Jew living at that time and you were living in a society that has been totally shaped by the Greeks, what was very common at that time is that parents would give their children two names. They'd give them a Hebrew name, Saul, and a Greek name, Paul. Very likely, that's it. But he says, it's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Now, apostle means a sent one. You're an ambassador and you are a representative of the one who sent you. So Paul is saying, I'm just a sent one. I'm representing God. That, that's who I am. Now, listen to me. This is really important. You should catch this. This is not the main issue because we're trying to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian. But followers of Jesus, you should, every one of you should understand this. You are apostles. I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one. I'm a representative of God. Question, how are we doing? Because there's times when I think in my own house, man, I represent Christ poorly. There are times when I, I won't tell them the story at Home Depot, but there are times when I think, when I think man, we're out in public acting like idiots. And I just go, man. okay, I'll tell you this story real quick. I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Kimmy and I, I just <laughs> one day we're at uh, Home Depot. And, you know, we're just like, rah, rah, rah. I know no, no other married people do that. But we're like, rah, rah, rah. we're at Home Depot, right? Just acting like idiots. And we're, we're buying a stupid flower pot. We're looking at some big flower pot. I promise you, man, true story. God was just, he just knew we were acting like idiots. This girl walks up behind us. And she, goes, uh, she goes, oh, you're Pastor Neil? Are you Pastor Neil? You're Pastor Neil from Cedar Valley Church? All right, I want to buy that pot for you. I say, you ain't buying no pot for us. And she's like, no, the Holy Spirit told me that, that you were Pastor Neil. And I'm supposed to buy you that pot. And I'm like, e- e- even if we act like idiots, you know, it's crazy. So I'm just saying, how are we doing? We're ambassadors. It wasn't Paul, the only apostle. It wasn't the 12. Man, we're all apostles. We are sent ones. We are representatives of the living God. How are we doing? Right? And then he says this, of Christ Jesus. I'm an apostle. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative of Christ Jesus. Now, when you see Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's not his first name, last name. That's not how this works. So Christ is a, is a Greek word for the Hebrew word, which means Messiah, or it means the anointed one. That one, the anointed one, the Messiah. Now here's what's really interesting. In the Old Testament, there are three offices that are known as the anointed ones. It's the prophets were anointed. The priests were anointed. The kings were anointed. Think about this. Go home and look in your Bible. Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, right? It tells us that Jesus is the prophet of God. It tells us that he is the high priest and it tells us that he's the king of Judah. Only Jesus, the anointed one, fills all the offices, right? And then it tells us Christ Jesus. Jesus, his first name was not even picked by his parents. And some of you would know that. Remember Matthew chapter one, verse 21, the angel is speaking to Mary and she says, you will have a child and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jews don't have a J in their alphabet. They would have had a Y and it would have been Yeshua. Yeshua means the Savior, the one who saves, right? That's Jesus, the one who saves, right? Paul is saying, I'm an ambassador. I'm a sent one. I'm a representative of the anointed Messiah, of the one who saves people from sins. That's who he's saying. Now, think about this because we've already said, Paul's, Paul's written to the Corinthian church, I'm the least of these. How is it possible that the guy who was out, right, persecuting Christians, very likely murdered some Christians himself. How is that one an apostle, a sent one, a representative 
of the anointed one, the one who saves his people from their sins? And the answer is this, Paul says, I'm chosen by the will of God. There's no other explanation. How else could I be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? How else is that possible? And I would say this, if you're newer to this church and you don't know me very well, someday you might get to know me and you'll say, how is that dude, the pastor of the church? And I've just very well come to realize this. It's only by the grace of God. It's chosen by the will of God and there is no other explanation. And I think a lot of times we feel unworthy. I was just with somebody the other day and they're like, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. And I'm like, let me just tell you something. You ain't. You're not worthy. And there's not a one of us in the room who are. But chosen by the will of God. That's it. Now, Paul gives us all of the, this is who it's from. This is who this letter, it's not a book, it's a letter. Here's who this letter is from. Now he's going to go into who it's to. And he says this, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And this isn't a big deal. This isn't the main teaching, but I would just tell you this. In Ephesus is actually not there in most of the early manuscripts. That phrase is not there. And so the reality is this. We don't think this was specifically to the Ephesians. This is one of those circular letters. This happened all the time. They would write a letter and it was supposed to make its way and it got to the different groups. There's a really interesting postal route that's set up in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where Paul writes to the, or John writes to the seven churches. There's this postal route. And we think this letter probably followed the exact same postal route except it finished at Ephesus. It was the last place. And so the reality is in the original, in the original, it probably just said, I'm writing to God's holy people. And then there was a blank and it's like, you fill in your name. And it gets to the different churches when they were teaching, they would say, this is from Paul. It's to God's holy people in Laodicea, in wherever it was. But Ephesus was probably the last place the letter landed. And so they just had their name written in that. We think that's, that's probably what it is. It's a circular letter. But he says, I'm writing to God's holy people. Now I want you to understand this. We use what's called the New Living Translation. Okay, the older versions, like how many of you grew up in a King James? I ask this all the time. King James Bible came out about early 1600s. And then in 1982, they, they revised it. They took out a few of the these and thous and dies, and they, they updated it just a little bit in the, early, in the early 1980s. The new King James translation saying this exact same thing to God's holy people. Watch how it says it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the will of God to, not God's holy people, the saints. Holy people means saints. It's the sanctified ones. But here's the reason I want to take just a second. I think this is really important for us, church, to understand this. Again, I'll say this a bazillion times. This really isn't the point. But anyway, uh, he says saints. You should know this, that in the scriptures, when the word saints is used, it's never, saint is never used singularly. Understand this. It was never used singularly, singularly. It was only meant plurally and collectively. It was unfathomable to an ancient East, Near Eastern culture that you would come to Christ and then be an individual. And in our church today, in the Western church, in the American church, in the evangelical church, we've made this such a big deal that it's a, it's a personal relationship. I've made this individual decision, right? You pray a prayer individually. You make a decision individually. And then you instantly, the moment that you become individually a child of God, you become a part of the family of God. You become a part of the body of Christ. You become a living stone of making up the foundation foundation of the church. It was never individual. There is a corporate sense here. And listen, there is corporate responsibility. That's who we are, church. We are corporate only, never singularly, only. It's gotten so out of control right now. It's become so individual in the American church that what we've made it about is individually my preferences, individually my likes, individually what I want. 
Meanwhile, a lost world stands out of the side the church because we're so wrapped up in our own preferences. And to show you how sick it's gotten, we would rather have my way, my wants, my style than open the doors, surrender my likes, wants, and styles and bring in a whole new generation to the church. Right? You know that what we argue in the church over all the time, it's almost never mission. We almost never argue over mission. We always argue over method. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I'm like, that was 90 years ago, okay? And now I'm saying about myself, when I was a kid, that was a long time ago. Do you know the very, there are very few things that we do stylistically? Listen, I grew up in a huge church on TV all across the state, and the place was blowing up. The things that they were doing back then were so, they were considered so radical. And you know, if we did those in this church today, almost no one would stay. The method keeps changing. The method has to change. The mission, I promise you this, we're not going to argue over the mission. The mission is that they would know. That's the mission, right? We got to surrender preferences. Okay, I'm, I'm better now. I got to take a deep breath. I'm better. So go back to our translation. I'm writing to God's holy people. God's holy people. To be holy means set apart. It means to be blameless. It means faultless. Now, there's a word that we use in the church that no one really knows. When we use the big churchy words, it's justification. And justification means that you have been made right. And when we talk about it in the church, it means you have been made right with God. That God now sees you as perfect. God sees you as holy. Followers of Christ, if you surrender your life to Christ, committed your life to Christ, did you know this? God now sees you as holy, as perfect, as blameless. Okay, now question. Are we holy because of what Christ has done? Justification, faith in Christ. Are we holy because of that? Or are we holy because we live and pursue holy lives? And the answer is absolutely. Like these were Hebrews writing to, to, to Greek culture and they were really comfortable in this tension-filled world. They were really comfortable with this tension. We live in a culture that wants to, is it left or is it Right? Right? Is it black? Is it white? Which is it? No, no, no. They would say, look, for instance, is God sovereign and in complete control or do you and I have choice? Yes, absolutely. Okay, are we holy positionally because of what Christ has done or are we holy because we pursue and live holy lives? Yes. Here's the challenge. In this individualized world, where we've mistaken what's really the idea, what does it really mean to be a Christian, we oftentimes think it's, well, you pray to prayer and now I'm seen as holy. But it's inconceivable. I always feel like Princess Bride. It is inconceivable that you would not now pursue holiness, that you wouldn't pursue. You want to know what a real Christian is? Christians, listen, you just need to know this. Christians actually pursue holiness. They understand I'm seen as holy. I've been made right with God. It's justification by faith in Christ. But now I pursue holiness. To be holy means to be set apart, to be completely set apart. We live in a, in a, in a, in a you know, a crazy world. We live in a degenerate society. We live in a postmodern, post-Christian world. Right. But are you setting yourself apart? Are we pursuing holiness? Well, no, I prayed the prayer. God sees me as holy. It's inconceivable that you wouldn't pursue holiness. And so here's a question. What do you allow to go into your head? What kind of TV are you watching? What kind of music do you listen to? And I don't want to be legalistic about stuff, but I'm saying, are we pursuing holiness in every area of our lives? Hey, question, are we pursuing financial holiness? That's weird. Like, are we pursuing sexual holiness? What is right? 
Like, are we pursuing that? I mean, pursuing that, like shedding everything else off and pursuing holiness. Do we pursue holiness in our conversation and in our comments? Are we pursuing holiness? Because that's part of what a Christian is. Real Christians are God's holy people. How are we made holy? Positionally in Christ, yes. And because we continue to pursue holiness. That's number one. That's a big part of it. That's part of being a Christian. Yes, there was a point in time when you prayed some kind of prayer, you surrender. And by the way, you know, and I've said this a bazillion times, no one in the New Testament, we never read anybody in the New Testament ask Jesus into their heart. It was pick up a cross. It was die to self, right? So at some point in time, you, you made some kind of prayer of surrender, of commitment. You, you would have done that. But then we continue to pursue holiness. We are God's holy people because partly because we pursue holiness not perfection that's not going to happen but do we pursue holiness are we down that road are we are we just saying man I got to shed that I got to shed that that's got to go that cannot be a part of my life part of my conversation part of my thought process that's number one and then he says he gets to the two that was a from he says I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are now watch this faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm writing to people, God's holy people. That's who he's writing to, the church, to Christians. He's trying to set them straight. That's what Paul's doing. He's trying to give them foundational teaching. One thing that a Christian is, because I'm writing to Christians, I'm writing to the church. You are people who pursue holiness. But now he says, your Christians are faithful followers. Faithful. Look, look, look the word, the word in, in the New Testament, faith, is always, it's translated a number of ways, but it's faith, it's trust, it's belief right? I don't believe something if I pray a prayer one time and then I go about my business. That's not belief. That's not biblical belief. Biblical trust is I don't place my trust in something one time, but then, but then I'm on with my business. And I don't think about it anymore and I don't continue to ongoingly put my trust in it. That's not placing your trust. Having faith. In the Old Testament, the word with faith was always faithful. In the Old Testament, it was always faithful. Look, it is a process. I continue in faith. And he's saying we are faithful followers of who? Of Jesus. If, if I'm supposed to follow someone, if we play Simon Says and you say, okay, follow what I do, and they go like this, put your right hand in your head, Simon Says, and so I do it, and then I turn away and I'm not paying attention, and pretty soon they go like this, and I'm not faithfully following, I'm out of the game. I didn't see it, I don't know what's going on. If I'm a detective, right, because this is what I do sometimes when I, Kimmy and I don't have time, we got time on our hands, we go to the grocery store, we just pick somebody out and we follow them home. Remember how we do that? We just, and so, but if you're following somebody in your car, right, you determine, okay, that's the car I'm going to follow. And now what do you do? You stay focused on them and you follow. See, this is faithful following. It's not I pray a prayer one time and then Jesus, we're good. And now I don't look at Jesus anymore and I don't follow and I don't do what he's commanded. I'm not following him. I faithfully follow. It's inconceivable that you would pray a prayer one time and then just go about your business. See, Christians are absolutely people who pursue holiness, but Christians also are people who, Christians, thank you, who persevere. Christians persevere. They, they continue the Christian faith is, yes, at some point in time you pray a prayer. Yes. You surrender your life. Yes. You commit your life to Christ. Yes. But now you persevere in the faith. And you just stay. is it easy? Yeah. Just so you know, this Christian life is really easy. No. I've talked to a couple people this morning already. It's just tough right now. It's just tough. You know what followers of Jesus do? We persevere. We follow faithfully. Good times? Yep. Bad times? Yep. We persevere. We just continue to follow Jesus. It ain't a one-time prayer. You can't pray one time. And then I'm a Christian. It's just, you know, 
John, the apostle, wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You know these books. They're at the end of your Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, right? So in 1st John, he writes this. He says, if someone claims I know God, meaning if someone says I know God, if someone says, hey, I asked Jesus into my heart, if they, if they just say it with their mouth specifically, he's telling them, if someone claims I know God, but they don't obey God's command, they say it, but they don't live it. They're not pursuing holiness. They're not persevering. If that's the case, then he says this, that person is a liar. <laughs> I just love that. That's strong language. And they're not living in the truth. They're a liar. You, if you say it, but you're not persevering, you're not continuing to pursue holiness. We're not talking about perfection here. We're saying you're pursuing holiness, right? That person's a liar. They're not living in the truth. He goes on, he says, but those people who obey See, they live it. They persevere. They obey God's word truly. They show how completely they love him. That's how we know that we're living in him. Now, I love he, he gets to the end here and he says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If you say it, we got to live it. Oh, Neil, I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. Hey, so did I. <laughs> you know, and then it just keeps going. And then we live it on. We pursue holiness. We persevere. We're faithful followers. That's what we do. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he, or not the disciples, but many, not the 12, just like many who had gathered. And he's ta- talking to them about a, a, a tree. He's given an analogy of a tree. He says, you know, how, you know how you know what kind of tree that is? You just wait for the fruit. If you keep telling me, you know, Peter, you keep telling me, that's an apple tree. It's an apple tree. It's an apple tree. And about three months later, a pear pops out. That ain't an apple tree, brother. It's a pear tree. So Jesus says, you know how you tell? You just look at the fruit. So then in Matthew, he, he, right after that, he tells him this. Not everybody who calls out, who says, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everybody who calls out and says, I've asked Jesus into my heart. That's exactly what he's saying here. Not all of those people will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Only those people who persevere in the faith. Only those people who continue to pursue holiness. Not perfection, if I said that. It's you're pursuing holiness. And they persevere in the faith. That's exactly what he's saying. So the two things, man. What's a Christian? Christians pursue. They pursue holiness. Christians persevere. They continue in the faith. This thing. Does it, do you all know this? Do you just have these days where it's just a grind? Have you ever said this? Man. Right now, I wish I was not a follower of Jesus because I'd do something totally different. Man, this life is difficult for me right now. I love the, the preachers who preach this prosperity theology. Are you familiar with this? All you got to do is follow Jesus and you're going to get loaded. How many people have found that? It's pretty true. No. Here's the promise that you have as followers of Jesus. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. And P.S., just for the American church, Tribulations and persecution isn't watermelon went up 25 cents. Okay, can we, can we just, we live in such a, a, a comfort-driven culture. Watermelon goes tw- up 20, 25 cents and we're like, oh, dear Jesus, come. This is the end. This is the end. You know, Christians pursue. So, so let me just give you the big so what, because at the end, what we always like to do in our churches, like if you forgot everything else, here's, here's what I want you to know. I want you to just walk home like this. Being a Christian is more than a one-time prayer. It's more than that. Well, how, how do you know you're a Christian? I asked Jesus into my heart. It's more than that. Now, it might start with that. That's a starting point. That's a starting point. And some of you are Christians, and you've been Christians for a long time, right? And that's how you started. 
And in a minute, if you're not a follower of Christ, don't worry, I'm going to give you an opportunity because I'm hoping now you're starting to see what it means to be a follower of Christ. And here's a great question. Neil, if it's challenging, if it's difficult, why on earth would I want to be a Christian? Oh, man, you have got to be here next week. It's going to blow your mind. All the blessings and blessings and blessings that come with being a follower of Jesus, you have got to be here. Because we're ridiculous blessed. It's crazy. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's not challenging. So then we say, so what? Now, then we say, now what? Like, what do I do with this? So this is real simple. I just want you to do a little assessment on your own, in your own time, maybe later today, and ask these questions. Am I pursuing? Like, am I pursuing holiness? Am I casting off all the things? Am I, am I setting myself apart in holiness? Like, I know I think that show is funny and I like that show, but it's not appropriate for me to follow Christ. You know, I, it's easy for me to ca- caught up in that conversation and that language, but it's not appropriate for me if I'm a follower of Christ. Am I pursuing? Am I following? Am I following after Jesus? Have I got my eyes on Jesus? Have I got my eyes on Jesus? Am I paying attention? Heads up, everybody. Like, if I got, am I paying attention? Am I following him? Am I obeying him? And then I just threw one other one. And am I doing? Am I actually doing anything about it? What are we doing about the homeless? What are we doing about the orphans? What are we doing about the widows? What are we doing about the poor? Am I doing? Am I doing as I've been commanded? Now, here's the deal. A lot of times in messages like this, if you're like me, you grew up in the church all your life, this is not a, a message of condemnation. So I don't, I don't want anybody to leave here and feel condemned. Would I potentially like you to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Yes. And the main reason is because I've been miserable for the last three weeks and I want some folks to be miserable with me. Because I study this stuff and I got to deal with all this. And you know me, I'm a smart mouth kid. Like, I just love to pop off at the mouth, not followers of Jesus. That's not pursuing holiness, right? And so I don't want anybody to feel condemnation. I don't want that. What I want to do is I want to cast a vision for you. I want you to think about what's possible. Now, the apostle Paul, we know that he died for his faith and we know that he died while he was in prison. We don't know exactly how Paul died. Some say that he was crucified. Remember this, Paul was a Roman citizen. Probably not, probably not crucified. Peter, not a Roman citizen. Peter was probably crucified. That's the writings that we have on Peter. For Paul, we don't know for sure. I think most likely, and I think this is what most would say, Paul was beheaded. He was beheaded. But his last writing, he has a, he has a, a young protege. Some of you know his name, Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And Paul writes him two letters. One Timothy, two Timothy, right? First and second Timothy. He writes him those letters. And he's building up. He's encouraging him. Now listen, at the end of second Timothy, it's fun to go home and read this and think about it this way. At the end of second Timothy, he knows he's about to die. Paul knows that he's about to die. He knows. He, I don't know if they've given him a date, but he knows it's near. He's in prison and he knows he's going to be killed. End of his life. End of his life. Some of the last words that Paul wrote. Now, just think for a minute. Just put yourself in Paul's place and think. You know you're going to die. We all know we're going to die. Think what it would be like to be able to say this. Paul says to Timothy, brother, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I remain faithful. Like when you love to be able to say that, wouldn't you love to be able to say that? Paul didn't say, hey, I started the fight. Paul didn't say, hey, I started a race. Hey, I started out faithful. Wow, powerful. Would, would you love to be able to lay there someday on your deathbed maybe and just say, man, I wasn't perfect, but I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Man, I remained faithful. And God will say, enter the kingdom. 
into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your holy word, God, that you just speak life to us. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you reminded us today what it really means to be a Christian. Not what it means to, hey, I got baptized as a kid. Not, hey, I go to church once in a while. Not, hey, I, you know, my mama's a Christian. None of that. You said, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I'm thankful, God, because I think as Americans, to be honest, we've just gotten so sideways and Christianity has almost become a political movement. So sorry for that, Lord. Thank you for the reminder of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Pursue holiness. Remain faithful to the Savior. Thank you, God. 